The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Ben Levison, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in stocks. Lauren Rublin is taking a much-deserved break, and my guest today is Barron's senior writer, Al Root. Welcome, Al. Hi, Ben. So, Al, great to have you here. Let's get things started by talking about the stock market. Um, it's been a pretty crazy ride for it over the last two weeks. Um, I think it was the best two weeks for the S&P 500 since November 2020, though there's some weakness here today. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been behind the market's great performance? Well, I mean, you know, I think uh, you characterized it correctly as wild. And I think you, um, I mean, you and I always talk about this, but I think people want to keep in mind, you know, where we were and where we are now. So, um, you know, the S&P, I think, was up 8% over the past two weeks. Uh, Frank from Instanet points out that, uh, you know, a two-week gain of 8% for the S&P has only happened 18 times in 30 years. Uh, So it's pretty rare that we go up this quickly. But, uh, you know, we're coming out of basically, you know, either correction territory or bear market territory. So we're still down on the year. So we have a lot of volatility. There's a reason for a lot of volatility, including, you know, land war in Europe. And, you know, that's that's left us that's left us in the place we're in. Right. We're down a little bit. And now people are reassessing what to do with uh, inflation growth uh, and the Ukraine Russia situation. And Al, you know, I'm a big fan of history. I love hearing those stats where, you know, it's only the uh, 18th time in the last 30 years we've had an 8 percent gain gain. And I look at what's happened after that. And it really seems like, you know, it's a coin flip. It could go either way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the uh, yeah. So from Frank's perspective, you know, the next week post that is a gain of less than one tenth of one percent, which is, again, one of those interesting stats. Oh, you know, it's more likely that we go up than down. But what that really means is the next week following a big gain is just like any other week in history. You know, uh, this isn't necessarily a helpful data point. Right. But the market, you know, tends to go up like 50.1 percent of the time. Right. So any day is a coin flip. Any week's a little better than a coin flip. You know, every year, about seven out of 10. And then every decade, it's about 10 out of 10. So, you know, daily trading moves tough to follow. Um, You know, so that's that's effectively what the what the follow up from, you know, the recent volatility means. It means uh, who knows what's going to happen next. Um, But, you know, the Fed, you know, all of this is related to some extent to inflation and interest rates. So, you know, what the Fed does will have a lot to say about what comes up. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to ask you about, because this rally happened against a backdrop of uh, the Fed not only raising rates by a quarter point earlier this month, but now you have Powell and just about everybody else saying, you know what, we might need to raise rates by half a point. And then Neil Kashkari, who might be the biggest dove on the Fed, comes out and says, you know what, we probably do need seven. And if Kashkari is saying seven, that's got to be seen as a floor, not a ceiling, right? Yeah, it, it goes into this category of, um, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news, though. So, 
there, listen, I think that I think that's an excellent point, right? So we're facing a bunch of rate hikes, and I think that reality was reflected in the market in the first two months or first uh, two and a half months of the year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, through mid March, we finally got a rate cut, and and when we actually cut rates, right around March, rates. or excuse me, rose rates, raise rates, about March 11th or 12th, you will remember the date. I think it was the 12th. Um, uh, you know, we got this incredible rally, right? So we were all freaked out and we're all considering what to do with higher interest rates. Then you get the actual event and then the market rallies. Um, so that, 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 you know, the market's forward looking. You, it, that, that's why we have the cliche, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news. Now, so that's great. So now we have to say to ourselves, okay, is, is Kashkari a floor? Is it going to get worse? Are we going to get a control of inflation? Is inflation going to get out of control? And that will determine the next narrative that starts to become dominant. And then we'll have to wait, you know, um, how the Fed uh, or, or uh, the federal government responds to, you know, the next story about inflation or oil or food prices. And, and then we'll get into an or, another cycle of, of trading, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, so and, and the, said, the current rate cuts are in the market. And you keep saying rate cuts. I keep rate saying hikes. rate cuts. I, I don't, I only know one direction for rates since I've been <laughs> born. True. They only go down. I, I have to reset entirely. Rate increases, rate increases, rate increases. Now you, you mentioned inflation and that if it gets out of control, but some might say that inflation is out of control, that, uh, you know, we're seeing some, uh, some pretty crazy numbers here uh, already in the uh, CPI. And we're going to get uh, the PCE deflator later this week. And that's for February, but, that's going to be kind of crazy too, right? Yeah, we have to fight inflation. Inflation is bad for everyone. Um, you know, I said inflation or interest rates have only gone down my, my entire life. The first mortgage I remember my my parents having, I think it was 18% a year. And I think the house was worth like 80 grand. So nobody wants uh, rates out of control. Uh, interest uh, Inflation is supposed to come in, you know, between 6 and 7%. It's been, you know, between six and eight percent for the last few months. That's way too high. Um, you know, I do believe that, you know, this idea that it was all transitory and all related to commodity prices and supply chain problems, that narrative is probably shifting toward like, okay, we got a bit of a problem and now we need the Fed to engineer a soft landing. Um, so in response to your question, is it out of control? I think we are starting to be concerned that it's out of control, but we're still holding on to the hope that uh, Mr. Powell and his compatriots will engineer a, uh, a Greenspan-esque soft landing. How, how likely do you think that is that they can uh, engineer that soft landing? Because I mean, this seems like a really tough thing to do right now, just given how hot the economy is and how hot inflation is. Well, you know, the great thing about this is so and I don't mean this. I mean, listen, sometimes you have to just acknowledge, you know, nothing. And it's not necessarily funny because real money is involved. But we haven't had inflation like this in 40 years. Right. Like we haven't had uh, a serious, you know, inflation expectations, you know, above two percent, uh, you know, basically since I've been a professional. So their ability to engineer a soft landing. Like if anybody says, oh, it's it's a 40 percent chance that, you know, the economy will, uh, you know, continue to recover. I, I think it's all I, th I don't think anybody knows anything. And not to mention, right, like the economy is materially different today than it was in the 80s. Right. It's less oil dependent. It's more data driven. You have better information. 
into your supply chain, into prices, into price increases. The, the condition of the consumer is different than it was in the 80s. Uh, I mean, we're coming out of pandemic when ironically, the consumer actually is still doing pretty well. You know, we haven't really seen any demand destruction from higher prices. Consumers are fine and just paying for stuff. So, you know, the ability to engineer a soft landing. Listen, I am going to stay optimistic because I think it pays to be optimistic in the long run. And because, um, you know, I hear companies tell me that, you know, backlogs are still strong. Demand is still strong. You know, they're trying to offset price increases uh, in their costs. Um, you know, so nobody is freaking out on the company level yet. So that means I will go with a high probability it'll be okay. That we'll avoid a recession and that, you know, the economy will be okay in 22 and 23. All right. Well, let's talk about the other thing that the market has, I mean, I guess it casts a wary eye on um, right now. And that's the war um, in, in Ukraine, the invasion, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I care deeply about what is happening there. Um, why doesn't the stock market? I think we all should. And, uh, you know, I mean, I think on a basic level, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's the market is concerned about, you know, money and inflation and things like that. And and this is sort of a human story that and, and you know, sometimes I think, especially, you know, working in the markets all day, you, you expect the, the market to reflect everything, whether it be a social issue or a human issue. And it just doesn't always do that. I mean, I, I think this, to some extent, and, you know, that that um, that cliche, uh, uh, sell the rumor or uh, uh, buy the uh, uh, by the by the rumor, sell the news. Uh, applies here, right? Um, you know, we were in bear market territory uh, in many indexes coming in to the actual invasion, right? So at some point, you know, between uh, in January and February, you know, peak fear uh, was reached. Um, and, and that was the point of maximum pain for the market. Uh, now, you know, I think it's probably a little aggressive to say that, you know, the market is feeling more optimistic because things in Ukraine seem to be going better for the Ukrainians than uh, anyone expected at the beginning of the war. Um, I think that's that's a true statement and that's a good thing, but I, I don't necessarily think that's what's driving the market. You know, oil prices did this incredible round trip. Um, uh, you know, the, the worst of the uh, inflationary impacts resulting from the Russian invasion seem to be fading, right? The peak prices were a few weeks ago. So it's all that rate of change and it's all that point of maximum pain. And, and where are you now versus where you were uh, a month ago uh, to determine what happened in the stock market? So it's odd that the markets rallied. Uh, but I think that point of maximum pain was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And our thoughts are with the, uh, the people of Ukraine um, and just the suffering that they're uh, experiencing right now. For sure. Um, okay, so let's turn to some stocks, Al, because um, mm -hmm. I know that's uh, that's what you love more than anything. And let's start with Tesla. Um, the stock market wasn't the only thing that had a great two weeks. Tesla did too. Had an eight-day winning streak um, where it gained more than thirty percent. And last I looked, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I'm sure it was up again on Monday. Um, What's going on with the stock and how can it to have a gain like that? Apple, Amazon, they, they never have gains like that, do they? No. So it was interesting because, you know, we chatted and one of the things that you were, uh, you know, surprised by was, you know, after this incredible eight day winning streak where the stock gained 32 percent, um, you know, the stock was up three percent over the past three months. Right. So, you know, it, it's sort of very Tesla to do things like this. 
but I mean, the 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 uh, the cliche of you know, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news, um, continues is is applicable here, right? Like you got to figure out where it was coming from at the start of this incredible run, right? So we were at basically peak fear in terms of uh, rate increases from the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, the stock was down more than 30% between November when the Fed turned hawkish and the point where they actually raised rates. And then lo and behold, two days after uh, rates are, uh, are, are hiked, uh, Tesla goes on this eight day streak. You know, you say other, we check, right? You know, we check like, uh, like wh- how does a stock go up 32? How does a trillion dollar stock go up 32% in eight days? Yeah, this is a small cap, right? No, I mean, no, it closed uh, back above a trillion dollars over the it's course incredible. of the streak, you know. It's the fifth largest company in SP. I think it's the fifth, fifth or sixth. Um, and then, you know, you think about this, like the, the biggest eight-day move we could find in another trillion-dollar stock was Amazon. It went up 19%, ironically, this month as well. So even, even you know, amongst its mega-cap uh, peers, Tesla does Tesla things. Um, you know, so I, I do think it's that sort of macro uh, rate hike fear that was at play. And then I also think that, you know, in the early part of March uh, and into February, people were worried about inflation and costs. And then that started to give way to growth, right? Uh, expectations for first quarter deliveries started to move higher. And, uh, you know, rising, uh, rising delivery estimates started to make people say to themselves, you know what, this company is going to have a good first quarter. I better uh, buy the dip. And then there was actually some news, though, today that has the stock up. Um, I think it's let me double check, but I think it's up around almost 7 percent, even though the S&P is down 0.5 percent and the Nasdaq's down 0.3 percent. What's going on? Oh, yes. So uh, Tesla is uh, looking like it's going to split its stock again. Um, there was a they, they had a regulatory filing where they said they were in uh, looking, uh, you know, one of these little technical factors. They they have to actually authorize the the amount of stock that's allowed to be outstanding. So the the shareholders have to vote on that. Um, but they said right in the release, uh, you know, this is because we want to split our stock. So uh, it, it, we are back in this endless debate over whether stock splits are, are positive. Uh, in theory, they don't do anything for a stock. You know, they may help retail investors at the margin by making it cheaper to buy a small number of shares. Um, however, you know, People believe that a stock split means that management feels really good about their business. So you have a stock split, stock goes up. Uh, this follow, you know, in 2020, uh, again, Tesla does Tesla things. So uh, Amazon and, and Google announced 21 stock splits recently. Uh, both stocks are uh, had big first day moves uh, after they announced it. Both stocks are up nicely uh, since they announced the split, right? So it goes into that category of people love splits. You know, back in 2020, when Tesla split its stock, it rose 80% between the announcement and the actual split. So Tesla always does Tesla things. (laughs) That it does. Um, And this week, though, we have some, or later this week, or maybe it's next week. I can't really remember what the day is, but we're going to get some news from Tesla as well. Something fundamental that's going to tell us how the business is doing. Yeah, it should be be Saturday. So Tesla uh, usually... um, uh, reports its quarterly deliveries on the second day of the month, uh, regardless of the day it is. So that's uh, Saturday, April 2nd. Uh, So we should get uh, delivery numbers. Now, uh, they delivered about 309,000 cars in the fourth quarter. They're expected, depending on the moment, to deliver, we'll call it 315,000 cars in this quarter. Those are analyst expectations. 
Um, you know, there's been a couple of notes just in the last couple of days that basically say they should be able to do more than 320,000 uh, deliveries. So you have quarterly uh, sequential improvement, uh, which would be pretty impressive because we're all worried about uh, chip shortages and production delays and new COVID restrictions in China. Tesla's largest plant is in Shanghai. So, you know, if they can grow delivery sequentially with all of that as the backdrop, you got to give them some credit. So I think people are feeling optimistic about that. I would say watch 316,000 uh, as the break-even point for investor expectations. All right, we will do that. Um, so let's move on. Um, actually, let's let's turn to XPeng because they uh, released uh, some numbers, I believe, today that could give us a hint as to how Tesla is doing, at least in China. Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? Because the uh, this is another reason that I think people are a little more, um, well, I think it sets up as sort of a very interesting uh, delivery number from Tesla. So deliveries for the US listed uh, Chinese electric vehicle startups, Neo, Xpeng, and Li, fell in the first quarter relative to the fourth quarter. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. The biggest one is that uh, Chinese, my biggest one is that Chinese purchase incentives for electric vehicles got cut by 30%. Everybody knew that was coming, but it, it generates this, you know, rush to buy. So you get the maximum benefit. So if you're going to buy an EV in January, you may as well buy it in December because it's cheaper. So that's been a, a factor um, in uh, the first quarter for the Chinese uh, electric vehicle manufacturers. And, you know, but Tesla is basically expected to deliver more in China uh, despite that headwind. So does that mean we're all asleep at the switch? One thing I would say is everybody has these data sources. They look at Chinese insurance registrations. They look at app downloads. They look at, um, you know, heck, I don't even know what else they look at. Probably satellite imagery. But uh, so everybody feels pretty good about their estimates. But, you know, early demand in China in 2022 is not as good as it was at the end of 21. Nobody's surprised by that, but it kind of like has become a watch item. And it has all to do, I think, with the um, purchase incentives. Okay. Um, well, Al, let's turn to some earnings now, mm -hmm. if that works for you. Um, it, it's pretty light this week. Um, you know, not a ton of excitement. This is uh, sort of, I don't even know if we call this the, uh, it's kind of the no man's land between the end of the last earnings season and the beginning of the next. But we do yeah. have some a few interesting companies. Let's start with one that I know you watch because um, it, uh, it's on your beat and you even wrote about it in the trader column. It was one of, yep. it was a pick a couple of weeks ago. That's uh, Aircap. Can you tell us about Aircap and uh, what you're expecting there? Yep. It's the, it's the largest aircraft luster in the world. About half of the planes that fly around the world. And, you know, just for those fun statistics, I think roughly 25,000 commercial jetliners are in operation. Uh, about half of them are leased, right? Uh, it's a, it's a, it's an efficient way for, um, for uh, airlines to get their capacity. Uh, Aircap's the largest. Uh, the Russian, you know, COVID was a disaster. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is terrible for international air travel. Um, you know, it disrupts the recovery. You know, Aircap was 70 bucks before the invasion and went to 45. Now it's back to 54. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say, you know, it, this is a super insightful call, you know, but it's basically uh, mean reversion uh, about 5% of their uh, leased fleet is in Russia um, by value. That's what the company says. You know, they, they, you know, they, they might, those planes might be a write-off. Uh, 
um, you know, we'll hear more about what's going on uh, this week when they report on Wednesday. You know, it's interesting. You know, it, it, I think the, the estimate is a buck 82. I have, I bet you if I was a betting man and I am to some extent, but I bet you it'll be just completely something wildly different than a buck 82. It'll either will be, it, they write things off or something like that. Will it matter if they, I mean, no. is that, is that buck 82 going to matter? Or is just Wall Street saying, Hey, we know that this number just, there's no chance uh, that well, it's going to hit this. And that's okay. Yeah, this is a good lesson in Wall Street estimates don't change with the news. I mean, uh, the the estimates probably unchanged since the evasion, right? They're they're analysts are just waiting to hear what happens, and depending on what they say uh, in terms of their fleet or the outlook, uh, that'll that'll determine what the stock it, uh, does because it's a wild time. The one thing I you know I said it wasn't a very insightful call. One thing I like to track and it gives me uh, some confidence: a hundred percent buy rating ratio. Ten analysts cover that stock. Ten rate of buy. So, is that a, a good thing rate. or a bad thing? It's a good thing depending on uh, whether you like a stock or don't like a stock. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. it. It doesn't leave much room for analyst improvement. Uh, that that is that is surely true. So let's talk about one where analysts are a little more split. That's a uh, Chewy. Mm-hmm. Um, Chewy was founded by Ryan Cohen, and Ryan Cohen we know as the uh, as the guy who um, became a big investor in GameStop. It's their chairman now. Um, he's also his firm has now got, um, probably going to get some seats over at uh, Bed Bath and Beyond. Uh, he's really become what some people are calling a meme activist. But how is yeah. Chewy doing? So, you know, Chewy, the stock is down over the last three months and last year. Now it's a growth stock. So that, that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Growth stocks have fallen out of favor, relatively speaking, because interest rates are going up, because we're worried about inflation. Uh, higher rates tend to hurt growth stock valuations more than others. You know, Chewy trades for about 315, excuse me, 315. 50 times estimated earnings. You know, it's a $20 billion market cap. So it's it's this big valuation for, you know, delivering pet food, essentially, uh, and very expensive. Um, you know, so again, uh, what, what can we expect uh, on Tuesday? We can expect volatility, right? I like to look at options markets, right? That mm-hmm. sort of tell you what, what uh, traders expect for the move uh, post earnings. You know, it's about 10 to 15%. So, so traders expect the stock to go up or down Either way, they don't care. 10 to 15%. That's what options markets imply. Uh, analysts are looking for about $2.4 billion in sales and a $0.05 cent per share loss. All right. Um, doesn't sound uh, too uh, too impossible, right? Um, and what about Lululemon? Um, L- at- Lulu? Yeah, Lulu. So again, let's, I mean, the numbers, the numbers, three, uh, 328 is uh, three bucks and 28 cents is their guidance. Uh, the street is actually one cent lighter. The street estimates 327. I think it's probably a rounding error. So the, the street has basically adopted company guidance. That's up from left, from about two, $2.50 a year ago. So, you know, Lulu is, 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 a, is a growth stock that is sort of not a wild growth stock. It trades 40 times 2022 earnings. Street likes it. Um, uh, uh, it's down about twenty percent over the past three months, but I, you know, I don't think we can blame. I, I don't think that there is a fundamental uh, uh, data point that would suggest uh, why it's down that much. I think it's sort of caught up in the growth stock sell-off, uh, and then again, implied volatility based on option markets is a little higher than previous quarters. 
for uh, uh, in, you know, traders expected to go up or down 7% post earnings. That's a little more aggressive than recent quarters. But again, I think that's more reflective of what's going on in the stock market than what's going on with Lululemon. It, it seems and like that. I love my Lululemon shorts, so you shouldn't have a problem. It, it, it seems like that's the case for a, a lot of these growth stocks is that um, the, the business might not be um, – the, the business isn't getting hit as hard as the, the valuations are when you look at something like a Chewy, which is down 23% uh, during the last three months, or Lululemon, which is down 18%. Agreed. I mean, I, you know, I take a look, you know, in, in my world and coverage list, um, you know, the, the, the more speculative growth stocks are, are some of the EV electric vehicle startups, Lord mm-hmm. Motor, uh, Fisker, uh, Lucid, uh, Canoe, Rivian. Uh, those stocks have just been... Uh, an official term taken to the woodshed. Um, and it, it, you know, there are fundamental data points. However, it, it, most of it is investors just don't want speculation anymore. They want uh, to feel safer with what they're holding. Um, Micron, let's talk chips. Mm-hmm. Micron's coming out with earnings this week. Um, not only do I, I care about the earnings, but I also want to know, is this chip shortage ever going to end? Um, so it's funny you say that because, uh, this is another, uh, uh, I, I'm going to give you more wall street cliches. Everybody, you know, everybody predicts that things get better six months from now because that's as far out as anybody feels confident. So, you know, uh, a year ago, the chip shortage was going to be okay in the middle of 21 at the end of 21, it was going to be better in the middle of 22. Uh, now we're in, uh, the first quarter in 21, it'll be, it'll be, uh, the chip shortage will be solved by the end of 22. Um, so nobody really knows, listen, like, so I went and looked at Micron's last conference call shortage. The word shortage came up, uh, like 40 times. Um, and I, and I, I went through the transcript and it wasn't like they were saying, uh, the shortage will be done on this date. They, they just sort of give data points about the shortage. And, and when I listen to the car companies too, that's basically what's going on. They're just sort of giving you, uh, what they're doing to manage through it, how it's changing, when it might end, you know, but the, the low inventories, and the in the supply chain disruption and the stories of chip shortages are probably going to be with us for another year. That's my that's my aggressive call. So it should be getting better, but it's not exactly. We'll, we'll be seeing a shortage in those transcripts for you know four more quarters. Okay. Now I want to take a few viewer or a few listener questions. Nobody's watching us, thank God. Um, uh, they're off your. Um, your your coverage area, but I'm going to throw them at you anyway. Um, the first is about crypto stocks, and mm-hmm. they've been recovering. Um, we have, I think, Coinbase today, uh, and this question comes from Steve. Um, we have Coinbase today, I believe, is rallying pretty nicely. It's up 5%. Um, any thoughts on, on the future of the crypto stocks and what's driving their prices right now? Um, you know, I bet you it's, well... I'm, I'm sure to some extent that they're just correlated with the underlying um, crypto prices. Bitcoin, I believe, has wiped out its uh, year-to-date losses. Um, you know, Bitcoin's been an interesting story because, you know, as a store of value or as, you know, a an asset that does something different than the stock market, I think that's been a tough sell this year, right? It's gone down with tech stocks and it's recovered with tech stocks, uh, but, it's, but it's wiped out its year-to-date losses. So I think that's one reason the crypto stocks are uh, doing better. I mean, and listen, I mean, my esteemed colleague, you know, Darren Fonda, Jack Denton, they could talk about this, but also we have, you know, digital currencies being investigated by the federal government and all that sort of stuff, which 
uh, helps the idea that uh, crypto has some momentum behind it. But I would just look at Bitcoin. And, and the other thing I would say is that uh, they're also growth stocks, almost all of them. And growth yep. is doing a little bit better. Um, so you combine those two uh, and uh, you get a, a pop in the stocks. Um, the, the other I would uh, ask about is, uh, and I honestly don't, I just look at the chart and it's scary, but uh, what about PayPal? Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, so PayPal. So, well, now I got to pull up the chart, which I will do uh, while talking more slowly. Now, um, you know, I'm not even sure what's going on with PayPal. I mean, fintech is fintech, right? I, again, we're going to have to get Carlton English. It has it has been hammered. Uh, it is uh, a growth stock on the order of, say, a Lululemon in terms of where it trades. So it doesn't trade as wildly as, like, say, a Chewy. I'm not sure if it's competition. I'm not sure if they've done something bad. I'm not sure if uh, Jack Dorsey and his square have, have scared everyone. Uh, what do you think? Now, I, I think a lot of it is just this sell-off that we've had in uh, anything that is uh, um, remotely expensive. Um, and, uh, you know, the, right now, uh, the, the stock, I look at, I just pulled up the uh, um, the forward earnings. Um, they're at, uh, I think, 23 times if I pulled up the right uh, series. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let me just make sure that I've done that correctly. And that is... Um, down from, I think it was at 45 times. Um, so it's priced in a, it's a much lower valuation and much lower, uh, perhaps reflecting some, uh, um, some concern about the, the growth that it has going ahead. Um, but as you said, that's something, um, that, uh, we probably, um, would listen to, uh, you know, to Darren to, or Carlton or someone along those lines. All right. I do, yeah, oh, I do have Sorry, one. On. So, you know, PayPal does own Venmo. And my Venmo usage is way up. So again, things should be fine based on that data point. And then I had to write a check for my kid's school. I have no checks. I don't know how to order checks anymore. <laughs> I need the school to take Venmo. That's my PayPal story. <laughs> oh, what about Zelle? Can they take fine. Zelle instead? Anything, <laughs> just not a check. All right. And last uh, question here we have from Hal. He's asking banks, are they go or no go? So banks, well, I mean, you know, we got fintech with PayPal. Banks are uh, in the problem of this, you know, yield curve inversion. You know, we want a steepening yield curve uh, so banks can make a lot of money because they like to borrow short and lend long, as the smart bank analysts say. Uh, The yield curve has been flattening out. We've been worried about inversion. You know, the growth estimates, and again, these aren't gross stocks, but, you know, earnings are expected to fall, uh, you know, in 22 versus 21 at like JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs. So they are uh, working through this uh, problem of um, rates and what uh, short and long-term rates have been doing lately. Um, You know, listen, I think that uh, if the economy is okay, so let's go with this scenarios. If the economy is okay and we avoid recession and we engineer soft landing and inflation isn't a disaster, banks are going to do just fine. I would bet on banks all day long. Now, if you're sort of uh, feeling more uncertain about the future and think a recession's coming, banks are going to struggle. But you know, since I tend to be optimistic, I think all of this would be a buy the dip opportunity. Okay. Last question, last topic for us, uh, because we are running out of time here. We have a bunch of data coming out, but there's really only one number that... Uh, I think everyone is focusing on, and that's payrolls. It's coming Friday, our March payrolls number. Um, is it going to be another blowout number? 
yes, but I thought I, I'm going to I'm going to lift the curtain, right? I, I thought you were going to say the big number we're all waiting for is GDP. In our notes, we both wrote, "Don't care." Yeah. No one cares about the GDP number. That is a lagging number. Yeah, and especially when it's the third estimate. Yeah, um, yeah, we we don't care. Yeah, uh, but jobs. I what actually what I wrote in the notes for this about that is I I mean I think we're still in the twilight zone, right? We're coming out of COVID. We got variants. We got uh, uh, super tight labor markets. Jolts is a word now we all know, which is like job opening losses total. You know, jolts is, is uh, you know, 11 and a half million job openings, you know, versus pre-pandemic seven and a half. Uh, I mean, I, I think that the, the volatility in the labor market has exposed uh, the, the uh, predictive capabilities of economists, not, not to take a shot at all economists, but, you know, who knows? The, we expect 450,000 jobs uh, for the prior month were created. Um, I think that whatever the number is, the message will be the labor market is tight and whatever the number it is, you know, politicians, one group of politicians will have something to talk about for a day or two. Okay. Well, that's all we have time for today. So Al, thank you so much for being here, um, talking markets with me uh, today. Please join us tomorrow. Barron's senior writer, Lauren Foster, speaks with psychologist and New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Daniel Crosby, chief behavioral officer at Orion Advisor Solutions about making financial decisions during times of stress and market volatility. Hmm, that sounds a lot like what we're going through right now. So make sure to tune in and listen to that one. Thank you, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, Ben. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.